Schlob Talk Radio. All right. Hello, everybody. We had to go and do a quick reboot. Wow, what an hour of radio that was. That was that was fantastic. I was pleased to be joined by former Twins coach and player for 35 games in the 1983 season, Scott Alger. And then what a treat that that was. That was um, that was Jessica Soto, who is the fiance of Ray's um, major league prospect or major league starting rotation pitcher, Jacob Faria. Coming on shortly, I have ESPN's Phil Mackey. Phil will be here momentarily, and we will talk about the Twins. We're going to talk about their offseason. We are going to talk about how they missed out on you, Darvish. I'm going to give him um, a chance to kind of talk to Twins fans and explain. I think he and I are kind of on the same page. It wasn't about dollars. It was about going is about the Twins' lack of being willing to go the sixth season. And we're going to talk about this uh, this offseason, which has been a really slow and kind of weird offseason. So without any further ado, I am very pleased and honored to have on the host of 1500, the co-host of 1500 ESPN's Mackie and Judd show, which can be heard 9 to 1 weekdays, the co-host of the Touch Em All podcast with Derek Wetmore, the host of the How to Live a Cool Life podcast, and many, many other things. Ladies and gentlemen, Phil Mackey. How are you doing, Phil? What's up, Devlin? How's it going? That's Not like much. more credentials than, than Apollo Creed in that second Rocky movie. We've got to cut down on my credentials <laughs> at some point. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Phil, I wanted to start off by saying a happy Rusev Day to you. Uh, it's always a happy Rusev day. Yes. Uh, by the way, we had someone uh, correctly predict. We do a write that down segment on Fridays on our show, and where yep. people can, like where we make predictions and, and listeners can make predictions. And someone did do a four item Royal Rumble uh, parlay and nailed all four things. Now, obviously, like you can read dirt sheets, but even then, like usually there's surprises. So somebody correctly predicted the outcomes of the championship matches and the Royal rumble matches four for four on our show a couple weeks ago. So wrestling cred. Absolutely. So would that have been a home run? I think, I think we might have to have a step up from home run now. Like we might need a grand slam or we might need, we might need to mix in two run homer, (laughs) three run homer to give, or like tape measure. Maybe there's a tape measure homer category. If you, if you go right. crazy and predict something ridiculous. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know what, you know, the next level after that is you're going to get the young whole park bat flip level. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, that's the one thing that we're, we're deprived of. Like we don't get to see the, the 20 home runs in the midst of the 240 strikeouts, but like those 20 bat flips with the twins would have been really fun this season or even in Rochester, I guess they, they're still fun. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So we, uh, you're a native Minnesotan. You and I, um, we're re- relatively close to the same age. We kind of grew up with the uh, Twins being really terrible for all of the '90s, with the exception of 1991. Can you kind of talk about? Have you always has baseball always been your first love? 
I would say, well, from a sports perspective, yes. Um, deep dish pizza is among my first loves too. But like, just from a <laughs> just from a sports perspective, yes. Sure. And okay. I think for me, like I realized. Well, first of all, I think there's a there's a midnight because you and I are on the same timeline. But I was irrationally excited about some of those mid '90s Twins teams that actually had some pretty good players on them, but just couldn't pitch. Oh yeah, they had a yeah. And of course, like if you were born in the mid '80s, you didn't really remember much about '87, '91. So you were just like you were trying to find anything with Rich Becker in center field in like 1996. But there was a there was a there was a couple teams where they had, they had Paul Molitor and or Chuck Knobloch and, you know, Ron Coomer was a good player, but they couldn't get anybody out where you look at the pitching staffs and everybody had a six and a half ERA and it was Frankie Rodriguez and, and all these, these bums who just threw meatballs over the plate. So yes, exactly. Exactly. So I realized though, pretty early on I was like decent in high school but not you know not among the three best players on my team and so I decided when I went to the University of Minnesota for college to do one last hurrah shot to play baseball they had a fall baseball like a walk-on tryout for for kids they 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 do like 20 or 30 kids and they put you through all these different workouts and they maybe keep one or two for the season and the first drill out of the gate was a 40-yard dash, and, like, the guy who beat me could have stopped in the middle and taken a nap and then continued, and he still would have beat me. And so I knew right away that I wasn't going to play baseball and make money. Um, and right. to learn that when you're, like, 17 or 18 is probably a good thing. And then I – so then I wound up talking about baseball and doing play-by-play in in Wright County for, for amateur baseball games and got an internship at, at, at the time KFAN and – I'm still getting paid to talk all these years later, so not bad. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's kind of switch gears here. Um, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about last season for the Twins. The Twins obviously rebounded. You know, 20, 2016, they were the worst team in baseball. They lost a hundred and a hundred plus games. I guess you know, as a Twins fan, the upside of that is you got Royce Lewis, and I know you guys were talking about. You know, at the time, the big debate was Royce Lewis versus Hunter Green. And just kind of being around Royce Lewis and seeing how well he's played so far, it looks like the Twins made the right deal. Yeah, I agree. So it's it's so hard going into the draft to have a really strong opinion on, on let's face it, like high school kids that you've never seen before. At least in some of the other drafts, you can watch – you can watch NBA prospects play for Kentucky or for Duke, and you can watch all of their games against top-level college competition and kind of, you know, you can kind of glean some things based off body language, who's going to work, who's not going to. Like, you kind of knew that Michael Beasley was going to be aloof in the NBA. But you then, but then you watched Carl Anthony Towns play, and you knew that Carl Anthony Towns was going to be obsessed with winning. You could kind of predict, watching right. Andrew Wiggins at Kansas, that he was going to be a drifter on the court and probably wasn't going to have that alpha mentality. It's so hard with baseball because unless you're going around as a scout watching high school games, and even like if you're watching college games and some of the top college players, it's hard to project to to what they might do six years later against major league competition. But I think what makes Royce Lewis stand out, and it's why I would 
very much hesitate to trade him in, in these Chris Archer rumors. You know, I don't know if they're asking for Royce Lewis, but I think because he's the number one overall pick and because he seems to have such a high level of maturity and such a great demeanor about him, in addition to getting on base at like a 40% clip in his first year in professional baseball, that seems like the type of player that very few times out of a hundred completely flops. In fact, we did this, we, we did this on the touch them all podcast a few days ago. And, and on our show, we went back and looked at the last 25 years worth of position players drafted number one overall. Yep. And yep. like the worst case scenario is Delman young. So, I mean, then Delman young had a season where he, I think he got MVP votes in 2010. And, and so yep. if, if the worst case scenario Royce Lewis, if the worst case scenario is Delman Young, and I don't think it is, by the way, because I think I think Delman Young was extremely immature and had and had some work ethic issues, and Royce Lewis doesn't. And the upside is Hall of Fame. Um, it seems like the Twins probably made the right choice. Plus, in general, pitchers are just more volatile because if you blow out an elbow, it can affect your career path. Uh, you know, position players are much less likely to suffer some career altering or or some injury that that takes you out for a season. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you know, I remember at the time everybody was saying, "Oh, well, you know, Hunter Green, he's he's going to be the next Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, the guy that was 100 miles an hour." Well, he was doing that against high school kids, and that's what's important to remember is you know you can you can look really good throwing the ball 100 miles an hour against high school kids, but once you get to college in the majors it's a different ball game oh my god i remember my dad when i was a when i was a kid my my dad's the reason i'm a big baseball fan my my dad was a big baseball fan uh his 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 dad my grandpa actually uh he so he played football at notre dame under newt rockney in the late 20s and then he also was a barnstorm baseball player so he would he would play on organized teams that would play against Negro League teams in the sure. like nineteen nineteen thirties, like the early thirties. And so, like, it was kind of a pitcher family growing up. And my dad, and then his dad before him, would always say, "You can fire a baseball out of a bazooka or a cannon, and if that's the only thing you throw, professional hitters are going to turn on it." I remember watching a game. This was probably in two thousand eleven. Or 2012, Josh Willingham was at the plate. You might even remember. You're a diehard Twins fan, so you probably even remember this game. Yeah, the Aroldis Chapman game when he hit one into the upper deck in Cincy. Exactly, yeah. Three-run bomb. And and so this is a great example of what I'm talking about and why I would be a little bit skittish on Hunter Green if he doesn't have a great secondary pitch. And it's harder to teach a great curveball or a slider if you don't already have a natural feel for it. Josh Willingham, professional hitter, standing at the plate, a 3-1 count, and he knows a fastball is coming. It's going to be 103 miles an hour, but he knows it's coming, and he hits it 460 feet for a three-run homer that, that broke the game open for the Twins. So if you don't have a secondary pitch, it's, it's really hard. I wouldn't be shocked if Hunter Green struggles to be a starting pitcher successfully in the major leagues. I mean, I think if you throw 100 like that and you stay healthy and you're that high of a draft pick, he'll for sure be a lights-out reliever somewhere, but – you know, yeah, I mean, I, Royce Lewis seems like a great choice. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's uh, let's switch gears here, Phil. Let's talk about this offseason for the Twins. So this offseason, the hot stove is, well, frankly, it's been kind of more of like the tepid stove. Um, it really hasn't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there really hasn't been a whole lot of uh, – 
whole lot of movement. Before you Darvish uh, signed with the with the Cubs over the weekend, the biggest contract was Carlos Santana to the Phillies, three years, sixty million dollars. Is it just everything was waiting for you Darvish to drop, or is there something else going on? Because you know the contract, the the CBA is coming up, and players are talking about collusion, and now they're talking about having a having a free agents only spring training down in Florida. And what's what's your what's going on? That's a it's that's it, a great question, and it's it's hard to answer because well, first of all, I don't think it's organized collusion. I don't. I don't. I don't think Rob Manfred got into a room with all the owners and GMs and said, "All right." Or I don't think there's an email thread that was sent out. Like, I don't think it's organized collusion. If I had to venture a guess, I would say you have these two forces playing tug of war against each other. You've got a bunch of players who are sort of victims to this antiquated system where they're under team control for six years after they break it into the big league. So you've got guys who are drafted. Let's take uh, let's take Tim Beckham, for instance, with the Tampa Bay Rays, who's just now breaking out as the number one overall pick in 2008. Ten years later now, he's just now becoming a great player. Right. Well, he's under team yeah. control for another five years. So he's going to wind up, before he hits free agency, he'll be – under the Rays' control for like a decade and a half, and then he'll be—I yeah. think he's 27 years old, so he'll be in his early 30s when he hits free agency. And if you're him, you're looking around the room. Now he got a nice signing bonus in 2008, so it ain't like he's broke unless he, you know, blew all his money. But so he—he's going to hit free agency and think, and his agent's going to think, I got to make up for lost time. Like this is my one shot to get a big contract, and so I need to make a hundred million dollars. But teams are smarter now. I mean, the guy who runs the contracts for the Twins now, Daniel Adler, went to Harvard. The guy's got multiple degrees. He's, it used to be that Scott Boris walked into a room, and he was the smartest guy. And now right. you've got all of these MIT and Ivy League grads running numbers, and you're putting together eye test data with analytics. And so you're just – front offices aren't going to – uh, there was a report that Scott Boris walked into a room in, no, in November. It might have been at the winter meetings in December with a binder for Jake Arrieta that said $200 million and why my client deserves $200 million. What sane front office in 2018 is going to give a 32-year-old pitcher like 10 years and $200 million into his early 40s anymore? So front offices are smarter, but at the same time, I can see the gripe on the player side. Hey, we're our, our ability to make money relative to market value is limited for six years. And that's after we just rode buses for like four or five years in the minors, I could see players pushing for earlier free agency at some point or pushing for earlier arbitration, which allows them to make more money. I mean, Mike Trout was winning an MVP award, making $500,000. So I can, I can definitely see where, where players have a gripe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's let's kind of jump in and talk talk about the Twins um, in particular their off season. They haven't made any really splashy um, signings, but as as I always tell everybody on Twitter who criticizes the Twins for being cheap and saying the Polabs didn't want to spend money, I always tell people they've been they've made a lot of shrewd pickups. They've made a lot of pickups to address weaknesses on the team, and they just happen to be very cost-efficient moves. 
you know, can you can you ever remember a season where they've revamped the bullpen so much? I mean, they've added they've added Fernando Rodney, Zach Duke, and Addison Reed, and those you know, it's not just that they added three bullpen guys; it's the quality of guys that they added. I mean, Rodney's an All Star closer. Addison Reed pitched his butt off last year in Boston, and he's he came over on a eight million dollar a year deal, and then Zach Duke got one point two. Um, but if you look at his if you look at his splits, he's 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 got an ERA that's one point one two runs lower when he throws sidearm. Can you can you talk about just how the Twins bullpen has improved drastically? Yeah, I mean, and Addison. What I really like is everyone from from the player Addison Reed to the agent and and the Twins realizing that you don't need your best reliever to get saves. Like you don't. In fact, that's probably right. not the way to structure your bullpen. So I really like that, you know, Fernando Rodney is probably going to have a month where he gives up 14 earned runs like he did last year. He's not going to no. pitch a clean slate in 2018. He's going to drive you. Twins fans, be ready to be driven crazy by, by Fernando Rodney. But <laughs> right. Addison Reed is a better reliever. The Twins did this right. They paid him more money. He's not going to just be saved for the ninth inning when two or three run cushion I'd, I'd much rather Addison Reed come in and pitch between the seventh and eighth innings or the ninth inning too. tie games maybe you're down by a run maybe you come in and and there's two runners on and one out and you got to put out a fire like that's the most valuable role for a reliever to be in and they're paying him like it too he might be the third or fourth best reliever on the free agent market when you go and look at once you get past you know the top couple of guys Addison Reed is in that mix and and he's a strikeout per inning guy that the Twins don't have a lot of. Um, and then Trevor Hildenberger, I think, is going to be pretty reliable. So you you trust sixth inning through ninth inning now. But I will say this. I think they have a window to win a World Series here starting now. I'm not going to put them on the same level as Houston or the Yankees and some of the moves that those teams have made at the Cubs. But their window to win a World Series starts now only if they improve the starting pitching. And I think, I'll go as far as saying, if they don't either trade for a top arm, a Chris Archer, or sign like a Lance Lynn at the very least, I don't think they're a playoff team in 2018. Because first of all, Irvin Santana is not going to pitch in April. And that might not cripple your season, but it doesn't help. And secondly, it's possible that Irvin Santana at age 35 is in for some regression. You know, he's home run prone. He had a lot of, uh, you know, I would say, I wouldn't say luck, but he was very fortunate with runners on base and with batted balls last year. So can you rely on him being as good as he was throughout the entire season to age 35? you got to add somebody. And, I mean, I don't know how deep you want to go into, like, reckless Chris Archer speculation, but I would honestly say to, to to the Tampa Bay Rays, Jose Barrios, Byron Buxton, and Royce Lewis are off the board for you. And if you want Max Kepler, you can have him, and you can choose any two other players in the entire system for Chris Archer. Like, I would do that trade immediately if I were the Twins, and that leaves you enough money because he's only making $35 million over four years. That leaves you enough money to go sign Lance Lynn, and now you're talking. Now you've got a bullpen that you trust. You've got an up-and-coming lineup with a bunch of good young hitters, and you'd have Jose Barrios, Chris Bleeping Archer, Lance Lynn, and Urban Santana going into a playoff series. You could stack that up, right. but you can't sell me on Kyle Gibson being the number two starter going into the season and then say that it's a playoff team. So they got to they got to do more, I think. Which I mean, I, and right now it looks 
excuse me, it looks like that might be the way they go. And side note on uh, Gibson, he's the first twin in many years to go to arbitration in the courts, and he was asking for $4.5 million. He lost his case, and he will make $4.2 million this year. Let's, let's dig in a little bit to that. we got about nine and change left, Phil. Let's dig in a little bit, bit to that Archer trade. The one, the one name that I think maybe Doogie or Bernardino pulled out that said the Rays were, had some interest in was Max Kepler. And a couple other names that I had heard floated around were Gordon and Romero. Romero's top five prospect. Gordon's a top 20 prospect. If I'm the Twins and that's the trade and it's Chris Archer and Chris Archer for Max Kepler, Nick Gordon, um, Nick Gordon, Fernando Romero, and maybe a low A guy or whatnot, I wouldn't make that trade, actually. I wouldn't. And and let me tell you why. The reason I, I wouldn't. And the reason I wouldn't make that trade is because you, I, I would look at this. Brian Dozier's in his final season. He's in a contract year. You have Eduardo Escobar, who can play second base. You have Jorge Polanco, who can play second base. And you have Nick Gordon, who can play second base and shortstop. If you, let's assume, let's say that Dozier walks, that leaves you with Escobar and Polanco as your starting second base prospects. Is that really is that really what you want to have going forward? I mean, yes, it would be great to have four years of Chris Archer, but man, trading Nick Gordon that really, really, really weakens a position that you don't have a lot of depth in in the minors. Yeah, I think so. I think Nick Gordon is very good, but not great at any individual thing. And I say that, I mean, he's still really young and developing. And you might've said the same thing about other players in the system, Torrey Hunter. And, but I, I, I think, I don't think he's a great base dealer. I don't know if he sticks at shortstop. So second base, you know, you're kind of going in that direction, second base anyways. Um, I don't think he's going to be a huge elite on base guy, probably strikes out too much. I think he's a major leaguer. Um, to your point, you know, be, be, this is where this is where Chris Archer provides so much value. If you bring him in, you might even feel comfortable going to Brian Dozier and saying, all right, uh, I mean, if you want to hit the free agent market, that's up to you. But we will offer you a four-year extension right now for $80 million. And we'll take you through your prime. You'll make $20 million a year. And you could afford to do that because Chris Archer doesn't make any money. You know, he's making, right. he's making as much in four years as Zach Greinke makes in any individual season. Um, and and then I, I would say that like Max Kepler would be the thing that makes me the most nervous. Cause I believe in his work ethic. I believe in his approach in general, he's been atrocious against left-handed pitching, but I think he fixes that to some degree. And it wouldn't shock me if he became a perennial, you know, 55, 60 extra base hits and got on base a bunch. He's a, he's a, I think he's a plus corner outfielder in the long run, I could see him exploding at some point, but I also think you can find corner outfielders. I just do like, um, unless you play shortstop center field or top level pitcher or catcher, I think, I think you can replace those guys, even just going year to year on free agents. Now second base and third base are a little harder to replace. So your point is well taken, but it's been so long since the twins have had a top 12 ish pitcher, at the you know in the league at the top of their rotation it's been you know maybe Francisco Liriano in like 2010 when he was last really good for the Twins 
But otherwise, you got to go back to Johan. So, and also, I know for people saying, well, what about Chris Archer? He's got ERAs over four the last couple of years. And if you're still on the win-loss bandwagon, like he lost 19 games, the Rays offer atrocious run support the last two years. In fact, no team in the American League has scored fewer runs than the Rays the last two years. And I think the ERA goes down well below four when you put the Twins outfielders behind him just catching every fly ball in sight. So, like, I mean, I'm not saying that the Twins wouldn't regret losing some of those players at some point, but I think – the benefit of having Chris Archer in a window to win big would be, would be the thing that overshadows. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that, you know, and this is another conversation for maybe another episode that I know I listened to you and uh, Derek on the podcast and you and you and Judd on the radio and you always talk about you, you and I are a lot alike in that we, it all depends on how you value what the inherent value of the prospects is from your point of view. Now, if you look at, you know, if you look at Fernando Romero as a top five prospect in your organization and you think, you know, you can put him and Barrios together for the next 10 years and have a nasty one too, maybe you don't make that trade. But I think a lot of it depends on the inherent value that the twins place on prospects. Yeah. And I would even add to that. I would say, you have to be objective about Derek and I on the podcast always talk about prospects like lottery tickets. And if you can get to the point where you're pretty accurately putting a percentage chance to be a major leaguer and then a percentage chance to be a star, I don't know how you would exactly quantify that. It's kind of like baseball prospectus has their percentile projections for each player. Like if, if Brian Dozier performs at his 90th percentile, he'll hit 46 home runs, you know, like, I think you have to do that with your prospects. Like Royce Lewis is the number one overall pick. He's got great makeup. He's got all the tools. He's patient at the plate. He's you know good at shortstop. So, so Royce Lewis, there's like an 80% chance that he's a serviceable big leaguer. For a guy that was drafted in the ninth round, who's still in Fort Myers and who has like a 90 mile an hour fastball and is crafty, you know there's like a one percent chance that that guy is a serviceable major leaguer. So if you can accurately do that and then use those percentages or those lottery tickets and, and, and judge your value in return based on that, I mean, that's, I think that's where the smart front offices are operating right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Real quick. I wanted to give you the last couple of minutes. You know, I lost my dad recently and I know you lost your mom last year. Can you, can you talk about what you got going on in terms of uh, the fundraiser that you're doing? And I want to give you a chance to kind of put that out there and hopefully get some, get raise some money. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that devil. And I know I've, you know, you and I are Facebook friends and it sucks. It sucks when you lose someone that you're really close to. And I just got done tonight is the flip Saunders tribute at target center. And I just got done reading a piece by John Krasinski where Ryan Saunders talks about just how crushing it was to lose his dad flip at a time where, I mean, there's never a great time to lose a parent that you're close to, but especially when you're like still young and, and you're still learning and soaking things in. But so, you know, my mom passed away from a rare form of leukemia, T cell pro lymphocytic leukemia back in August. She was 61 going on 40 and self-made from a small town in Wisconsin and working at a big law firm in Minneapolis for 30 years. And, and, you know, we just, no one saw it coming, thought that she'd live till she was a hundred and, and here we are. And so I think her mottos were, you know, do good things for other people and live your life with, with joy and passion and empathy. And 
So my new mission, among others, is to try and help wipe out blood cancers by just doing whatever I can. So I have a link on my Twitter page, twitter.com slash Phil Mackey. And it's uh, the big climb is this weekend downtown at the Capella Towers. 53 stories, people climbing the steps and raising money. I'm going to die halfway through, by the way. Like, it's going to be probably heart-related on the 25th floor. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just putting it out there. If people want to donate five bucks, if they just want to retweet it, or if they just want to say, hey, I feel your pain and I've been there, uh, sometimes it's reassuring just to connect with people and and share stories. So, hey, I appreciate you giving me that platform, though, Devil, and that's awesome of you. Yeah, absolutely, no problem. And uh, I also just wanted to say that um, I am doing what is called the hashtag Spring Training Challenge. I have a video posted to my uh, Twitter account, which is Devlin under slash Clark 84. For every one hit that the Twins get throughout spring training, I am going to donate $1 to the Twins Community Fund. And wow. if I can get a Twins Hall of Famer on my podcast, I will add in, in an extra $50. So I want to see the Twins bats come out strong. I'm also going to make a donation to Signatures for Soldiers on Twitter at Sigs for Soldiers, S-I-G-S, the number four soldiers. He does a lot of stuff with disabled veterans, and that's what my dad was. So we both have causes that are near and dear to us. And uh, so fans, go ahead and check out Phil's Phil's page. It's at Phil Mackey. Phil, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on my podcast and giving me uh, helping me out. I greatly appreciate it. Let's do it again uh, sometime when the season starts, all right? Absolutely. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. Thanks, Devlin. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Phil Mackey.